it's time to meet Adam Lang, the winner of HTT's Safety and Compliance Award for 2020. Hi, I'm Jim Park, and this is HTT Talks Trucking, Episode 1 of Season 5, and it's sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. Visit HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com to learn more. Before we begin our conversation with Adam Lang, I'd like to thank our listeners for making our first season a success. We did 37 episodes last year, and we have even more planned for this year. If you like the podcast, please spread the word on social media and give us a rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And if there's something you'd like us to cover on the podcast, you can email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com or reach us on Twitter at hdtrucking. Adam Lang is the Chief Risk Officer at Halver Lines in Superior, Wisconsin. He's a Certified Director of Safety and he's Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine's Safety and Compliance Award winner for 2020. The family-owned company has been in the business since 1968. It has terminals in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Indiana, and Iowa, and it runs more than 500 trucks and 1,300 trailers in 49 states and Canada. Halper Lines has been one of America's best fleets to drive for for seven years running. It's won numerous awards from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and honors from the American Heart Association for its focus on driver and employee health. While Adam Lang won't take credit for all those achievements, he's clearly been pulling all the right levers at Halber Lines ever since he started there in 2012. We'll meet Adam right after this. Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange is a unique networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place in Scottsdale, Arizona. Due to the ongoing pandemic, we can't yet commit to a date, so visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com to check for updates and to learn more about the event. Hi, Adam. It's good to talk to you today. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. Sure is a pleasure to be here. As Halverline's Chief Risk Officer, I'm sure you've had your hands full dealing with COVID-19 this year. Uh, we'll get to some of that a little later in the podcast, but first, I'd like to find out a bit more about you and your career and your uh, your your views on the state of the industry today. You're a well-decorated, well-respected safety director, uh, but you didn't start your career in trucking or in safety. In fact, you started out with a bachelor's degree in biology from the University of Minnesota. Uh, what brought you over to our side, and what traits or career attributes do you think lent themselves to that transition from biology to human resources to safety? That's a pretty interesting career path. It is. Uh Great question. I, uh, I believed at a young age that I wanted to enter the medical field. And after going to school, I kind of had a change in plans, but felt like I still needed to follow up with my biology degree. Uh, after that, I entered human services to help folks in the area. I enjoyed it immensely. But uh, I was actually recruited uh, by a uh, what you'd call a headhunter to work for a local trucking company. And I didn't know much about it other than in my previous career as a human resources director, I had a good handle on safety as it relates to the general industry, uh, injury mitigation and operating standard vehicles versus commercial vehicles. So I was recruited in 2012 to come to Helver Lines as the director of human resources. Uh, The attributes that I feel lend their success to this type of a career are leadership and uh, hard work. 
Uh, it is very hard work and you have to be passionate about it. Um, but lacking any leadership would make this job extremely difficult. You have to step up. You have to have uncomfortable conversations at times. And to get the results that you need for a company, you, you have to definitely have those two traits, leadership and strong work ethic. As the chief risk officer, what's a typical week in your life look like? Oh, boy. Um, well, if there's uh, such a start, thing anymore in 2020. <laughs> well, there, there, there is and there isn't, Jim. I, I, I don't want to uh, uh, mince words with it. But what I would say is uh, overseeing the safety, human resources, training, uh, driver services divisions here at Helver Lines, um, I act in a, a consultative role with all of the folks that report to me, but also directly with the drivers. I'm on the safety phone queue uh, with the rest of the safety team. Uh, I assist with HR calls, uh, benefits related things. Um, if an accident gets called in, uh, the phone may get transferred to me or one of my associates. Um, it depends on the level of the uh, accident, how severe. Um, I am the designated employee representative uh, for drug and alcohol testing, so I administer that program. Uh, in addition, I assist with all workers' compensation claims. So, you know, we might have an injury that needs my attention or on uh, incident analysis, making sure that everyone's uh, safe, taking care of getting medical treatment. Um, I may get questions about our pay structure or... Uh, speed limiter questions. Why can't our trucks go faster? Once in a while, we do hear that. Um, I do a lot of coaching on our in-cab camera solutions, um, and I try to make a point of doing that at least uh, uh, five times per week with individual drivers here that might be exceeding expectations or needing a little bit of a helping hand. Sounds like quite a plateful. It is. It is, but I enjoy it. When you came over to trucking, what did you know about running a safety department or even, you know, the day-to-day -day machinations of a trucking company? I know you've, uh, you've taken the courses for the North American Transportation Management Institute. You're a certified director of safety. But does that really equip you for all the stuff you're going to run into on a day-to-day -day basis in a company like Halverlines? Well, I, I will just say that without some of our vendors and without some of our partners in the insurance industry, um, folks like myself are going to have a really difficult time doing the best possible job that they can. So I relied heavily on partnerships that we had with our insurance companies. Um, many of them in the transportation industry have internal safety departments that act as consultants and help you get the necessary tools in place or make recommendations for change. I would say one of the biggest driving factors at Helver Lines is that the shareholders have to be bought into safety and the concept of safety as a value versus a priority because priorities can certainly change over time. Values typically don't. And I am extremely fortunate that... Uh, the, uh, the owners of Helver Lines, John Vinge and Ryan Fraley, value safety um, as a top value and are not afraid of uh, putting resources into that department to make for a safer company, whether that's uh, better equipment, newer equipment, 
more safety features, collision mitigation, uh, onboard cameras, as, as I had uh, mentioned before, uh, disc brakes on all the equipment. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I feel like with investments like that, it makes my job a lot easier. But as far as looking at my past and knowing what I was coming into with trucking, um, it was a learning experience. But with the partnerships that we had and with other individual mentors that I found in the industry, and I, quite frankly, partnerships that we have with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, their enforcement division, um, they are happy to consult with people on any type of questions that you have without fear of being uh, investigated, so to speak. Um, they are ready, willing, and able to assist a carrier to do the right thing when you contact them. So it was a process, but uh, here we are today, and it's been great. Well, I think it's probably safe to say that a lot of companies pay lip service to safety, uh, mostly from a you know trying to achieve compliance point of view. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you folks, however, seem to go well beyond simple compliance and, and actually striving to have a safe fleet in operation. Yes. Yes, yeah. we do. Good for you. Thank you. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face today as a safety director and as a, as a company? And uh, what are you doing about solving some of them? Well, uh, one large challenge, I think, is one that's been discussed for the past uh, five years and that is the nuclear verdict issue, the threat of the looming lawsuit that could occur uh, from plaintiff's attorneys. And uh, I, I believe that some of the uh, issues that happen on the roadway get exacerbated uh, by uh, folks just looking to uh, increase their wallet and going after the target that has a guaranteed minimum insurance level. Uh, every vehicle that passes you by on the road, you don't know what their minimum insurance requirement is. Could be different in each state or each province. But in trucking in the states, you know that the minimum required insurance is 750000 Now, in order for a verdict to become nuclear, I believe the threshold is $10 million for, for a judgment. But we've seen some uh, disturbing trends in the amounts that people are being awarded uh, based on the, the crashes that are occurring. Um, so I do believe that uh, some good prudent tort reform um, within our legislation would be very beneficial to the trucking industry where uh, if we have an accident, we're going to pay for it. We are not going to try to uh, shirk our responsibilities in any way, shape or form. But some of the amounts that they've been trying to collect have been... Um, a bit excessive, in my opinion, and many in the industry. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if there is an accident and, and someone's facing long-term care, uh, lifelong care, perhaps, and yes, you know, the, the money should be there to cover that. But some of the punitive numbers that you see uh, are just hard to explain. But we've been talking about tort reform for practically as long as I've been in trucking, which is longer than I care to remember. Uh Anything moving on that front? Are, are you or your associations or your company pushing that forward with your local legislators? Well, uh, our state associations, the Wisconsin Motor Carriers uh, uh, Trucking Association and then the Minnesota Truck Association, 
both are strong proponents of tort reform along with the Truckload Carriers Association that we work very closely with. Um, as far as movement, I couldn't honestly tell you um, what I've seen in terms of anything gaining ground in legislation. In fact, I can see some other things where they, they want to increase the minimum amount of insurance, and that's been brought up as a topic of discussion um, and raising that level. Uh, I would be okay with raising that minimum number, provided there were some good, prudent federal reform across the board that other states should be compelled to comply with. Could you explain that for me? Sure. So every state has different negligence rules and different statute of limitations uh, on the time limit that they can assert a claim. Some states have two years where you could assert a bodily injury claim and four years for a property damage claim. Some states have six years. Uh, some states have one year. Uh, right there, there's a big discrepancy in yeah. regards to a commercial motor vehicle incident because we go to all states. So first you have to deal with the statute of limitations to see if a claim is going to be asserted. Then they also have different types of negligence rules. It could be contributory, peer, or modified. And each one of those comes with its own set of rules and burdens that a plaintiff needs to bring in order to assert uh, or, or successfully assert uh, a claim. It'd be kind of nice to see some harmonization there, wouldn't there be? It would be excellent if it if it had to do with an interstate motor carrier that was on interstate business, yeah. so crossing state lines, um, one rule kind of to fit us. But uh, I would also propose that for the bridge rules and the uh, uh, how far you have to have your tandem axle slid in each different state. They, they kind of like to put that all over the map too, right? Yeah, they sure do. Uh, let's turn the page and talk a bit about drivers. What are some of the challenges that drivers are dealing with today and some of the challenges that you're dealing with on their behalf? Well, I have to say that after working in the, the industry for eight years, um, it's, it's really hard not to have an extremely high level of respect for what drivers do for our country, uh, uh, their families. It is an amazing career. It's a difficult job and it's a large sacrifice. I, I have the utmost respect for what our drivers do. Some of the challenges that they face, uh, I guess pre-pandemic would be getting the adequate home time and facing delays at shippers, getting home on time. The other motorists on the roadway that fail to uh, follow the rules of the road the way that they're expected to follow them. Um, dealing with some of the conditions at certain uh, either customer locations or uh, truck stop locations, you know, subpar conditions that no one should be asked to tolerate, lack of bathroom facilities at certain locations. Um, it's something that you definitely would take for granted unless you went out over the road and experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there is uh, detention at customers that uh, working it out with, with your, your main customers is usually not that big of a problem or an issue. But when you have one offload, sometimes um, they can be detained for too long, and that's stressful for everyone. So making sure your compensation package meets their needs and their and their demands. Uh, we just recently had a pay change that went into place uh, November 1st, and I think that it was 
a fantastic change for the positive, and it uh, uh, benefited our, our veteran drivers, our, our drivers that have been with us for many, many years, and it benefited our drivers just entering the industry that came through our finishing program or our CDL school. Um, so you have to make it worth their while to. You have to give them new equipment. Uh, we have a, a full service shop at our Superior Wisconsin and Rosemont locations, supporting them while they're on the road. Sometimes they just need a voice, someone to talk to them, someone to support them. And uh, again, it's a very difficult job and it can be a lonely place with your thoughts. So whenever a driver calls, um, we jump in ready to help whatever the problem is, no matter how big or small. Hmm. What do you think of the idea of hiring drivers who are under age 21 to work in interstate commerce? It's uh, something FMCSA proposed several times, but you know, as recently as uh, earlier this year, they're putting that back on the table. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm in favor of it, and the reason I'm in favor of it is because we have used intrastate drivers that are under the age of 21 and had some success with it. Uh, not in vast quantities, but uh, I can think of at least seven drivers that have gone through our finishing program and hauled intrastate freight on dedicated routes um, until they were 21 years of age. Some of them are still with us. Some of them have moved on to greener pastures, so to speak. And some of them, some of them came back to work for Helver Lines. I, I think it's dependent on the individual because, let's face it, uh, the older you are, the more life experience you've gathered. And that's always a beneficial thing if you learn from those mistakes. But there's also younger folks out there that are mature beyond their years and might have had a uh, agricultural background, operating heavy equipment already, have been taught some of the safety basics that they need to be familiarized with. Um, some of them have had military training and have been put in way more dangerous situations than behind the wheel of a truck than, um, than that to be considered. So I am uh, a firm believer that for the right individual, that meets our hiring criteria, and displays the characteristics that we value, um, that it can be a worthwhile endeavor. Another point I wanted to bring up with you was the uh, initiative recently announced by FMCSA, the Crash Preventability Determination Program. They're going to have another look at that. What do you think of that idea? So I, I'm a huge advocate of it, and the program has been formally introduced effective uh, May. I don't know the specific date, but I know it was in May of 2020. Prior to that, in July of 18, they introduced the Crash Preventability Demonstration Program and piloted uh, eight different categories that you could go on to uh, the site called uh, the DataQ Challenge site yep. and enter in the criteria and get that crash qualified. Get a note on that crash saying this crash could not be prevented by the driver. The one, well, they did multiple things with the permanent program starting in May. Um, the two biggest benefit, benefits I saw right away was a driver's PSP report, was, which is another way of calling it their CSA score. That's something in the states that employers are not required to pull pre-employment, but it's a very good best practice because you can see their inspection history for the last three years. And their crash history, whatever is considered a DOT recordable crash, 
um, for the last five years. Under the new program, if they have one of the crashes that ends up being DOT recordable, but it was entered into the program as not preventable under one of the several criteria, now they have close to 17, I believe, um, that note comes up on their PSP also. So an employer can see they were involved in a DOT recordable crash, which always kind of puts you on alert, but then it will say whether or not it could be prevented. Now, there's a catch to that though, Jim. Not every single unavoidable crash is in that the, in that program. It would be impossible for them to govern that. They do have an other category, but animal damage, folks that hit us from the rear, we can't prevent that. Those are really easy to enter in, submit the police report documentation, and usually within 30 to 60 days, the FMCSA will come back and let you know this crash has been deemed non-preventable. So it will affect your CSA or your crash indicator basic is what it's called um, and lower that score. So the crashes remaining on there are either preventable by the company or they were non-preventable but just don't fit into one of those square peg definitions. Um, we have successfully removed uh, 10 crashes or, or had them designated as, as non-preventable since the program's inception. And uh, we have a couple that are still uh, pending review and we, we make uh, liberal use of it. We, we very much like it. And it's a great first step for the industry to take. I think it needs a little more uh, finesse, but that should happen over time. But it's a great first step. We're going to get up to a break here in just a minute. But before we get there, not including, you know, some of the craziness of the past year, which we'll get into in the second half of the podcast after the break. How would you say your role as a safety director, risk manager at a major trucking company has changed in the past 10 years or so? Well, um, I can I can speak to my, my predecessor, uh, who I kind of uh, took over his role when he was the director of risk management. Um, I would say that we're finding that technology knowledge, knowledge of information technology and different software systems is imperative. Um, you have to have a very strong background in using multiple different systems and the ability to use them quickly, uh, to learn quickly and to adapt. Um, also, depending on your company structure, uh, the days of, of getting in touch with someone, I know that you know, 10 years ago, they had cell phones. But I think now in, in this day and age, we utilize technology to the point that nobody can ever get lost, so to speak. Anyone can find anyone at any given time, whether it's a big problem or a small problem. So today's safety director is more on constant alert because they'll get phone calls at a moment's notice versus maybe 10 years ago, someone was calling from a phone bank um, after the fact of the accident. So I think there's, there's some good things that go along with it, but uh, technology is continuing to evolve. I mean, we have drivers enter incidents into their onboard ELD tablets and take photos with them and then send them through. Uh, when I first started here, uh, there was still pen and paper accident reporting kits in the trucks. So we have changed that process pretty <laughs> yeah, dramatically. Indeed. 
Okay, uh, we're going to take a short break here. We've been talking with Adam Lang. He's the Chief Risk Officer at Halver Lines in Superior, Wisconsin. He's also the winner of the 2020 uh, Safety and Compliance Award from Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. So congratulations on that, Adam, if I haven't said so already. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short pause and we'll be back with Adam right after this. HTT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HTTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in the business. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guests at HTTX 2021 in Scottsdale, Arizona. To learn more and to apply, go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com. So we're back with Adam Lang, the Chief Risk Officer at Halber Lines in Superior, Wisconsin. Adam, 2020 has been a crazy year, and the big story of this year, obviously, is COVID-19, and I don't think any facet of modern life has really gone unscathed by the pandemic. How has it affected the way Halver Lines does business? Uh, well, um, we had to change and change rapidly in many, many facets, uh, so uh, the biggest effect was obviously with our drivers. Uh, we had to uh, shut down part of our facilities to keep people safe and separated. Um, we had to make sure that they had uh, PPE, that they had the personal protective equipment in addition to the standard, you know, gloves, hard hat, high vis vest, foot protection. Now we're getting them new PPE, masks, uh, face shields in some situations. Uh, hand sanitizer, anything that they feel that they need. So we we started a reimbursement program for anyone out on the road that couldn't get here in time to gather their PPE. If they had a way and means to purchase it on the road, we would reimburse them for that PPE uh, without question. Our orientation classes, sometimes those could range in size from, you know, seven or eight a week to 15 to 20 a week. So we, in order to comply with social distancing, we could no longer do that. So we had to break up our orientation groups into different classes. Uh, we've just started a second location in Rosemount, Minnesota for that. And the folks that were coming in for their portion of the presentations, uh, we could no longer have that, that risk of exposure. So we aggressively started videotaping everyone's presentation uh, in early March, and then utilized one of our vendors, uh, Carrier's Edge, to uh, allow us to put the videos on their uh, platform. And then we could assign the orientation video portions to all drivers coming into Helver. Uh, we got all of our paperwork completed prior to orientation through 10th Street. And when they came here, it was basically for a day's long orientation, learning our equipment and learning our ELDs. Um, that's what the focus was because by the time they got here, they saw the safety presentation, they've seen the uh, payroll and HR presentations, the accounting presentations. So they're prepared and they have the resources to contact any of us. And then weekly for uh, any drivers, uh, whether it's an owner operator or a company driver, uh, for the first 12 weeks of, of uh, contract or employment with Halver, they get a phone call from one, uh, from one person in 12 different departments and we document how things are going, if they have questions, anything like that. So we've continued that program 
for the last two years, but it's been very relevant during this time period. Um, we've allowed it uh, to, to kind of expand and we're talking about what are ways we can do more outreach with our drivers while they're going through this pandemic. Uh, some customer requirements and, and having to uh, comply with what they require with contactless deliveries or in some circumstances we've developed a paperless bill of lading system that uh, certain customers utilizing their technology and our technology were able to verify the load delivered without paper exchanging hands. So that has been uh, also a big boon. Um, keeping folks safe and getting the call in from a driver that might be ill on the road, advising them on where to go for help, what to do. Every situation gets its own look from our HR and COVID team and our COVID committee that was formed in early March uh, at one point was meeting weekly, and or excuse me, daily, and then we went to twice weekly. And in the last uh, month and a half, we've moved it back up to meeting every day. And that consists of individuals from every department and leadership all the way down to uh, ground level staff. Hmm. That's a, that's a big big change in the way you do business all in a very short period of time. Yes. Yes, it was. Did uh, many of your drivers get sick while they were on the road? Uh, not as many as one would think, um, but we did have some drivers that would call in. And uh, what we were finding is that uh, some of them would call in and we'd do some uh, contact tracing of our own and our human resources uh, department would ask them questions about uh, anyone that they've come into contact with. And we were finding that uh, most of the time, uh, if they were to have contracted it, it would have been at home or during an activity near home. Um, it would seem like sometimes the truck is the safest place to be until you go into a crowded environment like a truck stop yeah. or areas like that. So some of our drivers were developing strategies on avoiding that entirely other than using bathroom facilities while they were on the road just to keep themselves safe. Did you have many drivers who refused to go out on the road or, you know, try and mingle as less or as least as possible, just to stay closer to home? No, uh, we, we, I would say that a couple of drivers, I can think of two specifically that made the decision to retire early or go to a seasonal status and have just been staying in touch with us and wanting to maintain a relationship with Halver, but just weren't comfortable going out on the road. And we totally understood. Yeah. Um, so, so, but surprisingly, uh, most drivers were extremely strong and wanted to keep things moving. I mean, in addition to the medical field, they've been heroes throughout this whole time. <laughs> and how about the office staff? Everybody normally shows up for work in the morning, probably had to be sent home to work remotely. How did you handle that? Well, that, that was another big change. Surprisingly, most folks kind of fought it a little bit and said, no, I want to be in the office. I want to be close to the drivers or I want to be next to my coworkers. I don't know what it's going to be like working from home. And it was relatively new to us because we had very few telecommuters prior to this. That's just kind of how we operated. It never really came up. But 
we had to change gears and we asked for volunteers. And then as time went on, uh, some folks were voluntold um, that they were going to at least give this a try. And, and as one of the leaders on, on my teams that I oversee, it was our responsibility to make sure that every single person on the team at a moment's notice, if they needed to work from home, they have the equipment and the ability to do so. So we had to change some of our IT security systems in order to make it safer, like two-stage authentication with uh, the VPN, which has, has uh, upped our security game very much. Um, but it's, it's been going well. Some of the teams, uh, like recruiting, a vast majority are now working from home. And you find that sometimes they work a little bit longer hours than those that are working in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, of course, by their choice. But uh, there might be a recruiter or two that jumps on on the weekend and says, hey, I've got drivers calling in and sending emails. I'm going to walk 20 feet over to my desk that's in my lounge area at home and (laughs) check it out. And uh, uh, now it's kind of unique, Jim. I mean, we probably have 20 to 30% of our previous office staff now uh, in the office and the remainder working at home. So I said that backwards. I should have said, you know, 70 to 80% working at home, I would estimate right now. and having the majority of, of the employees that report to me work at home, um, you have to stay in constant communication with them and make sure that they're doing okay. And it helps to have metrics in place so you can still monitor performance and make sure that people are still doing their job. It's just a different environment, but people have adapted quite well and we're, we're pleased with our outcome so far. I would imagine for a lot of the people, it wasn't so much a matter of not wanting to come to work for you know, whatever reason, but they had family responsibilities they had to attend to. The kids were off school. Um, you know, the whole thing had changed. So they might've just been unable to leave the house as opposed to not wanting to come into work. Certainly. Uh, COVID changed some things where uh, once you had daycares that, you know, you drop your kids off on your way to work and then you'd go to work and you'd pick them up afterwards and life was good. Now, Many of those day cl- daycares had uh, shuttered uh, in order to uh, eliminate the risk of spreading COVID. So those kids had to stay at home and someone's got to watch them. Yeah. And yeah, we, we had a couple situations like that. And as things are adapting, especially with now virtual school, at least in uh, our individual school district in Superior, um, they went to an all virtual model Ah, boy, Jim, my memory's hazy, but it must have been late October um, around that time where the case count per 10,000 people got to the point where the school district said, we're going to have everyone go go to school at home. So just my personal experience and my wife, who's worked from home for the last three years, now my uh, 11-year-old son is is, uh, doing all virtual school. Uh, and he's adapted to it quite well because uh, the the end of last year also had a virtual element of school. So he was used to it. Um, he has his own computer at home, so he utilized that and mm-hmm. he's very tech savvy and he knows more about computers than I do, quite frankly. But <laughs> um, 
it it has been difficult for some, but again, once in a while you get a, a child's request in the background when you're on a Zoom meeting or you get a dog barking errantly and you adapt to it. It's it's kind of the new way of things. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. Nope. Adds nope. a bit of levity to a boring meeting, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that. Uh, let's get back to real life for a minute. I mean, COVID's, hopefully they say this too shall pass, so maybe by this time next year we'll be out of it. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the uh, American Transportation Research Institute's uh, sort of top 10 list of issues that face the trucking industry. Uh, they included things like driver compensation, driver retention, uh, soaring insurance premiums, uh, and the driver shortage. So what's your perception of some of the things that were on eight, uh, Atri's list, sort of generally speaking? So I, I, I typically agree with what they, what they list out as the, the top 10 issues. Um, the driver shortage has been one on there uh, since Hector was a pup. And um, you have to ask yourself at what point in time is there going to be enough drivers? Um, just like in any other industry, is, is, are there enough pipe fitters? Are there enough plumbers? Are there enough electricians? Are there enough doctors right now? I think we know the answer to that. We need more of everything. And driving is a very difficult position. It's specialized, very rewarding. But times have changed and regulation has changed to the point that many folks are afraid to get involved in it. And it's it's almost a, a mystery to the general public as to what trucking actually entails. But I would I would make the argument that driver shortages are probably dependent on which company is, is making the claim that there's a driver shortage. And we could always use more drivers. I'm not saying that we're the best at it. Um, we do have a lower than average turnover. I, I think we listen to our drivers. We have a, a driver uh, a committee that meets quarterly, although during COVID, it's been a little bit more difficult to get them all together. Um, and we all sit and listen to their concerns and try to make changes that they recommend or get their recommendations on other changes. Um, so driver shortage, yes, it exists, but I think we have to ask ourselves why. And, and some of that reason is there's, there's a little bit of a fear, I think, getting into this industry when it's, it's an amazing career for anyone that wants to try something new. And uh, you get to travel, your office moves. Uh, I, I don't know too many jobs that, that have that added benefit. Um, it, soaring insurance premiums, you're, you're absolutely right. Companies that have excellent loss ratios and experience ratings, whether it's work comp or auto liability, FISDAM, cargo, um, insurance premiums are going up. And there's multiple factors for that. Obviously, the nuclear lawsuit is something that every insurance company is always on high alert for. I feel like other catastrophic events drive premiums across the board, like the wildfires out in uh, the Pacific Northwest in yep. California. That is going to affect insurance rates across the board because you can probably just imagine what level of claims people are going to be making and that will leak into other areas of insurance. Um, so I know that there's there's multiple factors with it, but um, that is a rising concern as well. Uh, what we do is uh, we, we attempt to go above and beyond what's required for safety so that we can always be ready 
in the event that we do have a bad loss and we need to adapt uh, quickly and uh, I guess get the uh, get all of our ducks in a row to defend the claim but we we are always preparing for that type of a situation so that when it comes we are uh, kind of in a more advantageous seat than than the average carrier mm -hmm. uh, we have to do that but I, I am in agreement with uh, uh, most of what the ETRI lists is, is top concerns. Well, how about driver pay and compensation? Uh, people are always talking about they need more money, they need more money, we're not paying them enough. Most people would probably agree with that. Uh, but is money the answer or does it go beyond that? Well, I think just as people, if, if you ask someone, would you like more money? Of course, you're going to say yes, because mm -hmm. you can do more with more money. I think there's the rare occasion where someone says, no, I'm absolutely satisfied with what I have, but I think it's human nature to always want more. Um, I don't know if, if driving is, uh, is at the level it should be for the, for the job that it entails. I think when times are really good, there's a question of that and how, what kind of method are you going to pay the driver? Are you going to pay it off of percent revenue or are you going to pay per mile or are you going to pay hourly or are you going to pay piece rate per, per trip back and forth? Um, I think it's finding out what the, what the drivers are asking for and being reasonable so that everyone walks away a winner. Um, I, I, I feel right now our recent pay change and what we did um, our accessorial schedule with wait times, um, how we've uh, determined uh, level of service and then given an additional bonus to uh, veterans and drivers that have served our country. Um, I feel that uh, we are very competitive with the majority of trucking companies now um, in, in, in that respect. And I don't know if it's ever going to be enough though, Jim. <laughs> That's the question. Yeah. I guess if, you know, the best barometer of that or yardstick would be a relatively modest turnover rate. So obviously you're keeping more of your people happy than some other carriers are. Yeah. Yeah. Our turnover vacillates between 30 and 40% um, on a voluntary basis. Uh, and we're, we're quite proud of that. We can always do better, though, and that's that's what we always strive to do. Indeed. We, we can do better. Well, before we wrap up here, Adam, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, three or four issues that you think trucking needs to address sooner rather than later. What are some of the fires that we need to put out ASAP? <laughs> well, I, uh, I have... Uh, consulted with some some folks uh, at the TCA and, and safety professionals that I that I work with and uh, the the ELD mandate was a good thing and it put us on a level playing field um, and we all had to comply with it I'll be on electronic logs it's great um, they introduced a new split sleeper birth provision that I think still needs some further addressing in regards to off-duty time versus the sleeper birth I could get way into the rhubarb yeah, on this gym. Yeah, that's another conversation I, for another day. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, I think a uh, another uh, burning platform issue is one that was addressed, uh, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. I, I, I'm very happy to see that they put it in place finally uh, January 2020 to encourage uh, uh, 
companies, well, require companies to report any uh, refusals or drug testing violations per Part 382 so that there's a national database that employers are compelled to check. Um, I don't know though about the check and balance and if uh, companies are not complying with that requirement, who's seeing that on the back end? I mean, you're supposed to do it, it's the requirement, but they may not find out until they're audited. But uh, I am I'm very happy with that. Drug and alcohol uh, issues are, are a large problem and as a society need addressing, but uh, we definitely don't want uh, folks in our trucks under the influence of any type of foreign substance. Um, tort reform, as I mentioned before, and you had mentioned that that's been an issue long, long in the past as well, but I still feel like something needs to be put in place to stop the flow of some of these runaway juries that can declare a an insane amount of money um, that goes well beyond what a reasonable person would need. Um, based on the loss. I, uh, I feel that, you know, introducing new folks into trucking needs to be encouraged more. Uh, more schools, more grants for drivers. Uh, Helver Lines has its own CDL program that we started this year during the pandemic, and it's been going very well. We'd like to see some, some more people we, we, we'd like to expand it more into uh, possibly different locations. Uh, we'll see what the future holds, but we've had some moderate success. But getting uh, folks more educated on trucking in general. And uh, I guess I can remember when I was a, 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 a kid in the, in the late 70s and early 80s and how cool trucking was how many great movies there were about trucking and, you know, truckers were the American hero. And I worked in trucking and I don't get that perception anymore from other people like it used to be. And maybe that's just, you know, cockeyed optimism as a, as a little kid versus how I am as an adult. But culturally, I don't feel like people understand the driving profession the way that they used to. And uh, it kind of makes me sad a little bit. Well, I guess it's up to people like you to keep trying to turn public opinion around by making driving a career choice rather than a career of last resort. Adam, thanks for sharing some of your time with us today. It's been an enlightening conversation. Absolutely. I thank you for having me, Jim, and thank Heavy Duty Trucking and uh, appreciate your time as well. We'll talk again soon, Adam. Thanks. All right, sir. HDT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX 2021 takes place in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to view the agenda, to check for dates, and to apply to be our guest at HDTX 2021. You can learn more about the good work Adam does at Halver Lines from the company website, or you can read about his work in the January 2021 edition of Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. Those links are in the podcast description. If you like the podcast, please spread the word on social media and give us a rating if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.